I would make sure that I blow dried my hair because I thought I looked more professional with like straight hair versus my naturally curly hair. So in my mind, I thought that the Eurocentric like features of like that long straight hair was professional, like this idea of professionalism and it aligning with like whiteness. Thank you for joining us. You are now tuned into Trish Chat, a series that aims to normalize vulnerability through conversation. Our episodes promote meaningful dialogue around identity, culture, and real life stories. We are your hosts, Steph and Jess, and everything you'll hear in our episodes are based on personal experiences. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Trish Chat. My name is Steph, and I'm here with Jess. Say what up. What's up, everyone? You introduced me this time. Thank you. I appreciate it. I try to catch you off guard to see if you're paying attention. Well, I appreciate that. Hope everybody is holding up, bearing this heat. Yo, it's hot. I forgot how hot New York is. I was talking with a friend about this and how, like, I think it's a combination of not living here for two years, Mm -hmm. but also that. The like the last time I was like spending this much time outside in the sun, I was like a kid. Like it, when you think about it, it's like you were like a 14 year old in the summer just spending so much time outside and I'm spending a lot of time outside now. Yeah. And I feel like it's so much more intense for me because I'm like going out for five minutes, coming back and needing a shower, walking back there. The sun hits different when you're older. Yeah, I don't know. It was, it's been interesting. <laughs> but I think it also makes you realize how little time you spend outside mm-hmm. when you're in a physical office. Yeah. Because I would be outside for a few minutes, mm-hmm. like when when we lived in New York, be outside for a few minutes. Like to travel to work. Get on the train, spend time outside walking to the building spend the entire day in the building and not leave for lunch. That's what I And then leave at the end of the day. And it was like, you went again from like your workplace to the subway, from the subway to your home. Mm -hmm. And in total, maybe that was one hour of time outside. So even though it was like super sunny and you were like, you felt like you were outside for so long. Like I was vitamin D deficient. And I have been for so long because I I didn't get it as much sun. But now that I'm like, you know, taking Baxter out for a walk and, mm-hmm. you know, going on walks in the evening. Yeah. You're like, damn. Yeah. That's exactly what I meant. It's like we we spent so so little time out with the exception of going and coming home from work. And now it's like we have the flexibility to do that more because we're all home. <laughs> so I we're think working that from home. I think that. Yeah, the heat is just even even more intense um, this time around. Even though I feel like it's it's been this hot always, it's just we're we're experiencing it in a different way. So take more showers. <laughs> as take I'm more doing. showers. Don't get rid of all your summer clothes right before you move to New York in the summer, like you did. <laughs> take it from me. <laughs> well, they don't, none of them fit. Yeah. None of them fit. So I had to 
you know, get rid. And they were like in bad, like I wore those clothes till the very last minute that I could wear them. Like I really made use of those clothes. Yeah, man, you spent, <laughs> yeah, they were well spent. They like, they could not be donated because <laughs> they were in that type of condition. And so <laughs> I had to get rid of it. And then the other day I was like, let me pull out my summer clothes. And then I was like, oh, my summer clothes are two bathing suits in a Ziploc bag. <laughs> Can't really wear that to my meeting. <laughs> yeah. So you got to you gotta upgrade, babe. Uh, yeah. That's funny. Yeah, I'm lucky that I still have it. Even though a lot of my stuff fits big, but I don't care because I'm like, I, I can't wear jeans outside in this heat. <laughs> I just got an image of you wearing shorts that are like three sizes too big and then you have a belt and you're just like <laughs> tying it as tight as possible. But you know I have like shorts that like fit me big, but they don't look as bad. Um, but I don't care because I'm like, dude, I'm just, I need I need to breathe in whatever I'm wearing outside. Meanwhile, I'm here in black. <laughs> you have your workout stuff though. Black, you can wear dude, oh like workout God. shorts. I mean, that's like the outfit of, of the pandemic because I like, know. I know. That's that's definitely what we've been wearing a lot, or we were wearing a lot. Now I try to like change it up. Yeah, I've been wearing jeans. So if you see somebody out there that looks like they're dressed for the wrong season, <laughs> that's you. It's me. I'm dressed for fall. <laughs> I'm not living in this season. I'm living in next season. Yeah, totally. So today we're talking about internalized racism. And we decided to do an episode on this because... Um, there is a lot that's been going on and we've, we did an episode where we process, you know, our emotions. Um, but with everything that's going on with like racial injustice, racism, which none of this is new. Um, it's just been with the death of, of George Floyd, it's been like really, really, really emphasized. And it's been a catalyst for more people to support movements like black lives black lives matter that already existed and we're already doing the work um but it can feel like like a lot like what do you what are you supposed to do as like one person um to like fight for equity or it can feel like um like it's not enough to just go to a protest or I can feel like it's not enough to like put a Black Lives Matter um, graphic on your page. That can also be like very performative if that's all you're doing and you're not really like doing anything else, right? You're just going about your day status quo, but you're like putting up a post Black Lives Matter, right? Like mm -hmm. it's not really doing anything to advance um, the fight for um, equity? Maybe. Could you be doing more? Probably. Um, so we, as like people of color, were thinking about like, what can we do in this fight as individuals? And something that we can do as allies to the black community is to, um, deal with our internalized racism. Um, and that's what we want to talk about today. So for those of you who don't know, internalized racism is acceptance by marginalized racial populations of the negative societal beliefs and stereotypes about themselves. So we've grown up 
in a racist society. So we as people of color can internalize those beliefs and start believing that about ourselves, but also start believing that about our communities. And dealing with that internalized racism is one of the ways to further that fight for equity. And it's part of doing the work. Yeah. Tress is just nodding her head. She's like... It's taking it all in. So I want to give a few like concrete examples from my personal experiences because of the fact that internalized racism can feel like a really big concept Mm -hmm. and internalized racism can feel like, well, I don't have that because like, I don't hate myself. Like I don't feel like I hate myself or, you know, that I like have biases towards like other people who are like in my community, but it, it showcases itself, I think in like very small ways, but that have a big impact. Mm -hmm. So for example, many, many years ago, when I would go for job interviews, um, I would make sure that I blow dried my hair because I thought I looked more professional with like straight hair versus my naturally curly hair. So in my mind, I thought that the Eurocentric like features of like that long straight hair was professional, like this idea of professionalism and it aligning with like whiteness. Yeah. I mean, I relate to that a lot. A hundred percent. I think even up till a few years ago, that was like, again, it's like a subtle thing. You're just like, you don't even think about it. You're like, yeah, when you have something important, you blow dry um, your hair. You, like, you want to look your best. Right. And not ever seeing like my curls as like beautiful and like natural. And like, why can't that be the go-to slash norm for something important? Right. Or like, why isn't that professional? Like why is professionalism tied to like a very white, Eurocentric, like heteronormative, cisgendered, like ideology in a way, right? Like blow dry my hair, wear some heels, Mm -hmm. put on like a pencil skirt with a blade, like, come on. (laughs) But it's, it's the things that we've been fed our whole life Mm -hmm. in the media, like TV, film, everything, like. I mean, it's, it's, it's everything that you've been, like, if you look things up online, like those are the pictures you see when they have like photos of people in interviews or important meetings, like women's hair, straight and all the things you just described. Yeah. And think about you as in, like, if you've ever been in a position to interview, how you've judged women of color who may come in with curly hair. Yeah. Right. Totally. Like, have you said, oh, well, they they don't have the, like, they're, they didn't come off as professional or like, they're not a good fit or why, why, why does it, what does that mean? Yeah, absolutely. That's a good one. Um, another piece for me, um, has been, I, um, I, I'm, and I'm, 
recognizing this as time goes by and addressing it. But something that I have like recognized, and this is a mixture of internalized racism, uh, perfectionism, which probably leads back to internalized racism, but you know, I'm just not pegging mm-hmm. it all. Um, the fact that I've, throughout my career, I've always looked for that ap- approval from like white people mm-hmm. over that of people of color, right? Mm-hmm. So like if one of my coworkers was a person of color, was like, oh my God, you killed it in that presentation. I'd be like, oh, thanks. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't think much of it. But if one of my white coworkers had said to me like, like you killed it, that was amazing. I would have been like, wow, like I did such a great job. I'm so proud of myself. Mm-hmm. And those are like small things that you probably don't realize. But I've, with everything that's going on, I've, I've, I've come to realize and in hindsight, look back at how I've taken feedback and how I've, like, who has, whose feedback has counted the most for me? Yeah. And I'm not talking about like, from someone who manages me because there's a power dynamic there, but even thinking about my peers Mm -hmm. and like that, that feedback from my white peers, me taking that more into account than feedback from like my peers that are people of color or, or who are like black men and black women. And taking it a step further, I completely relate to that is like, are you getting that feedback from people of color because you are a person of color? Like, is it like, I, for me, it was like, Oh, you're, you're shouting me out cause we're, we're the same and you want to make sure that you're encouraging each other within mm. the community. But then you're always seeking that approval from white people because in your, in your mind, it means more like, it's like, Oh, well, cause you, you're setting them as a higher standard. Right. Right. And like the fact that you can be seen by them in that way means that you can compete in the same space. Like that's how I've felt in my career. Um, do you relate to that? Yeah. It's like, um, I've cried about it a lot because I think it's like coming to, coming to that realization and coming to terms with that has in the, in the best way, like completely shattered something that I've always, a, a carrot that's always been dangling there, but that like, it just keeps moving farther away. Yeah, I agree. And like this, this like this system or belief that's been in place that that I had been seeking, but I didn't realize that that's what I was doing and how much it was like destroying me on the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just made me feel really shitty, but relieved at the same time that I that like that had come to my conscious awareness that this was like one of the ways that I had internalized racism. Mm-hmm. That's a big one. Cause I feel like that affects more than just work. That affects like interactions within like friend society and all things. So that's a big realization. And I think that that is like, I'm not saying that once you recognize that, that all of your imposter syndrome is gone, but I think that plays a big role into imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. 
because of the fact that you're already going in feeling like I'm not enough or like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have been hired um, for this role. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. And you're just like, the moment you get that praise from like that white person, it's like, oh, okay, that's okay. But then you, you continue seeking that. Mm-hmm. It's like a drug and you keep wanting more and more and more and more and more of that. Mm-hmm. And the more that you don't get that, the more imposter syndrome that you get. Yeah. Or the more imposter syndrome that you feel. Yeah. The more that, the more that that like voice gets louder. Yeah. I think something that comes up with, with that point for me is like, there's been many times in my career where I'm very confident about a decision I'm going to make, um, or move forward with, move forward with on a project or whatever. And no matter how confident I am with that, I still would seek the approval of like a white colleague or a white manager Mm -hmm. in order to feel like completely okay with it. Even though I knew that that was the best answer or the best decision to move forward. I've always needed that in order to feel safe enough to do that. And I didn't realize it until recently how, I feel like that's internalized racism because I feel like I'm, I feel like my, my decision-making or my abilities or my skill set is not good enough unless a white person Validates has a stamp it. of approval. Yeah. Um, and that's really sad to think about because so many of us feel that way. And I think so many of us don't see it as internalized racism. Um, to your point, like if you're looking for that approval from a manager, it's, it's a power dynamic or it's just like the way the corporate world, the way this whole system is set up. Right. But when you really look at it, would I seek that same type of approval if like all my colleagues were people of color or would I just move forward with the decision myself? Mm. And I think I would move forward with the decision myself. Mm. And that's really fucked up. Yeah. It's, it's tricky because when you go into the workplace as a person of color, you, particularly if you are in, in industries, which is most of them, where there's like not a lot of people who look like you, where you're the only one in many rooms, it, you have that pressure of like doing the work two times better, three times better mm-hmm. because whatever you do could be representing an entire group, which is bullshit, but, but that's the way that it is. So then when you couple that, like, well, I have to, I have to be the best. I have to like really, um, excel. And then you mix that together with looking for that validation from whiteness mm-hmm. it's it's so toxic mm-hmm. yeah but again it's like it's so subtle like if if someone would have brought that to me like five years ago i would be like no that's just i just need that i just that's just the way i work but like thinking about it yeah 
if you put yourself in those positions in those two scenarios, what would you actually do? Yeah. I mean, I had to, um, I've had to start reminding myself. I got good feedback at work the other day Mm -hmm. and I kind of had to like stop myself from being super excited and, 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 and say like, it's great that this person said that, but I didn't need them to say that for it to be true. Yeah. And just, I, it was like, I wasn't even saying that because I like a hundred percent believed it. It was more of a reminder for myself so that I can like, check myself on that internalized racism before I got like super excited about that, about that feedback from that white colleague, more so of, of saying like, they didn't need to say that for it to be true. Yeah. That was true without them saying it. Yeah. That's good. And that's great that you're able to like sit in that and actually like say that to yourself, coach yourself through that. That's huge. Yeah. You're already just exhausted. To, just trying to keep that up, you know? Yeah. Um, one of the ones that really stand out for me when I think about this is um, holding people of color to a higher standard than white people in all things. Mm-hmm. And, like, especially now during a time where people are just throwing out woke cards and saying like, (laughs) you know, again, for, for some people showing up looks different for me, it looks completely different than it might for Steph and and so on and so forth. But I feel like, and I, and I'm seeing it and I've been guilty of this in the past. It's not happening anymore where when things with, with things around race and social justice, and, you know, racism, I would most definitely hold my people of color, friends, family, community to a higher standard of white people. Like a white person could be like, yeah, like I have white privilege. And I'd be like, whoa, this, this person is like super aware aware of themselves. Like, that is unbelievable. Like, I can't believe they actually said that. Um, versus like a person of color not like wanting to have the conversation or, or or even saying something around like privilege and all this stuff, but not taking it to the next level or wanting to, you know, yep. continue. And I think it's total bullshit when you do that because that is internalized racism. When, when, white people are not showing up at the same or or, or much less than a person of color. You know, we, we're all like, this is great. Like that's, that's the best shot they could give. Like, that's amazing. You know, like they're such an ally or they're such an activist or an, you know, an advocate. And I'm just tired of that. Like, I'm just tired of, of, of hearing that because it's, it's, they're the ones that need to be held to a higher standard in this whole, in this whole area of discussion. Yeah. Um, and just thinking about how, when we do that, how we're giving them a pass when it comes down to like racism and doing something about the work. Like, 
if you sit here and tell a white person like that's great or you nod or you you start feeding them the things that they need to say or do or whatever you're basically telling them like you're doing enough like yeah like that's enough yeah like you don't need to dig into deeper shit or how you have contributed to this fucked up system and not really being honest with them and being like you are the problem and you can you can help in this you know yeah. and letting them kind of do the work there instead we're just complimenting them in their low hanging fruit comments yeah like you know so that that's one that really stands out for me and i don't know if you've felt that way but i've definitely have had that issue in the past. I was thinking about this the other day because we were walking down the street and I saw a, a white person on a bike and they had a, a Black Lives Matter shirt. And it just dawned on me. I was like, you know, it's it's really interesting that maybe six months or a year ago, like if I saw a white person with a Black Lives Matter shirt, it was almost like a celebration of like, oh my gosh, yay, like, wow, like you are wearing a Black Lives Matter shirt. Like that is amazing. Like that is wonderful. Like it's almost like a badge of honor mm -hmm. for a white person to wear a Black Lives Matter shirt. Cause it's like, yes, like you believe in the very basic thing that you should believe in anyway. Right. Right. And, and like seeing a, a, a black person or a person of color with a Black Lives Matter shirt and it being like, yeah. You should be wearing that. Yeah. Right. Like, like yeah. Yeah. Like Black Lives Do Matter. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so just thinking about that in the sense of like, do you even notice if a person of color is wearing a Black Lives Matter shirt versus like if you see a white person and that that's like, like how, how, how they're like celebrated now for like, mm -hmm. yes, you said Black Lives Matter, like, you said the words, you were at the protests, like, yes. Yeah. Um, and I'm specifically looking at, at like, I'm trying to um, formulate my, my thought, but I think that oftentimes we've lived in us in like a society, a predominantly white society that doesn't give a shit about us. So even when we see that white people are even like slightly paying attention mm -hmm. to us as communities, it's kind of like, Oh my gosh, that's amazing. But we still put the work on people of color. Yeah. 100%. 100%. And we give them, we give white people passes on other shit they do because the fact they wore a Black Lives Matter shirt or had one conversation with us or hashtagged it on their social media, you know, and then, but they do other problematic shit. They don't look within, but we're like, yeah, but you know, they, they care about me. And I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, think about it the next time that you know, you congratulate your white friend on like going to the, the protest or donating 
but you are questioning your black friend or your friend that's a person of color because all they did was go to the protest or all they did was donate and like what else are they doing right like think about that think about the standards that you're holding people of color to versus white people in this mm-hmm. yeah that's a big one and i and i feel like a lot of us feel that but we we don't tap into that or don't want to see it in that way um because like you say once you see something you can't unsee it and also think about that like in a work setting right like if you're a manager if you're in a position of power, like think about the expectations that you have on people of color versus those of white people and the things that you're pointing out in people of color mm-hmm. like i've noticed that in 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 companies like people are more likely to point out the mistakes that we as people of color or that black people make versus uh, like a white person. Yeah. hundred percent. Like, let me give the best presentation of my life and, and like close a million dollar deal. Oh, Hey, but you know, you had that one typo there. Um, so you can't have that happen again. That just really threw things off. Right. Yeah. So truly think about that in terms of the expectations that you have of the people of color in your life versus white people. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to talk about something else, which is like gatekeeping. I'm about to rile Jess up. (laughs) So thinking about you as a person of color, and helping white people gatekeep access to certain positions or certain organizations and how that is a form of internalized racism. And I'm particularly looking at you, Latinx people, because y'all be doing this. And that is that when you get into an organization and when you get into a position of of power, you don't look back to help others who look like you. Mm-hmm. And I'm making a very big generalization, but this is based on my experience. This is not based on the whole Latinx population. This is based on like what I've seen from my experience working in tech mm-hmm. is that yes, there are those who will like help and, and open the doors, but I've also seen a lot of people who do gatekeeping yeah. where it's kind of like, they're they're holding that position closed for themselves and for all the white people that are there with them. You know how I feel about that. <laughs> Let them know. It's it's so frustrating. It's it's unfortunate. Like everywhere I've worked, and I've worked in a lot of different industries, as I've as we've been talking about that you see if you're lucky enough to see a person of color in a leadership position if you i've met a lot of them and i've had conversations with them and i i think deep down they in their mind they want to help 
and um, they have thoughts around it, but they never do anything about it. Right. And I don't, and I don't know if that's truly because they have no power in doing that. But I, I also, I'm like, there's so many ways in which you as a leader, you as someone working in, in, in a, in a tech company anywhere can send the elevator back down, whether that's sitting with people for coffee or, you know, recommending other positions to people in your community or getting involved in, um, you know, different employee resource groups or or going to events and like passing your card out and like truly being a voice for our communities and, and, and following through with that. But I think the problem is that when you get into these positions and I'm still trying to figure this out. And I don't know if, if it's, it's something that I, that we, we see in the media and in film and all this shit, but we truly believe there's only room for one of us. Because that, that's typically been the case. But th- that feeds into that, like, that definitely feeds into that internalized racism, right? Mm-hmm. Of like, you have to be truly exceptional mm-hmm. as a person of color to be able to be in the ranks of C-level white people, yeah. right? Like, and so typically you know, when you think about something that's exceptional, it's very rare. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now if there's two of you, well, you're not that exceptional then. Yeah. Right. Like it's just this really fucked up, like relief. There's that, but then it's like, right. But then you see it as like a competition within your community. Like, again, there's not room for both of more than one of you. Mm -hmm. And then you won't be that one person. It's like we hate being the one person um, that that white people look to to like we kind of represent we're the one representing our our culture and we fucking hate that. But I feel like deep down some people love that. Like people it's validation. It's validation that you are the only one. Yeah, like I'm good enough to be in white spaces. I'm the only one that's made it to this white space. I'm a unicorn. But you ain't no unicorn. You know what I mean? But that's, that's the way they make you feel. And so you don't want to lose that. You don't want to, it's like, you don't want to lose, you know, the, your grip on, on that power. Cause in, cause that's the only power you have. You never had that power. And so I get super frustrated when I see these people in these high up positions or fuck it, not even high up positions, when people are in middle, whatever position you're in, but you're just thinking about you. And that's for me. And granted, I think there's, there's a lot of pros in, in, in putting yourself first and like getting yourself through your career. And I think there's, there's some cons and like in our culture, it's like, take care of everyone else, then yourself. So I don't think you need to go to that extreme where you have to like, give up your job for someone else to get the spot. But I do think that there needs to be some inward work where you have to ask yourself, why aren't you helping your community when you can? Why aren't you helping uplift them in that way? And 
I think it has a lot to do with like what I just said, being the unicorn, making it into these white spaces in a, in a, in a way where you never thought you were good enough to be in that space. It's this fucked up cycle. Yeah. And you're then, seeking that validation. You're like getting that, that like validation by being there. And then you, you think that like, because there's this like exception yeah. that you, that, that there, that there can't be too many of you. So you start doing that gatekeeping. And then you start drinking the Kool-Aid from your company. And it's just all about that. And you never really think back and being like, is my company even that great? You know, I don't see a lot of people that look like me and nobody's like, nobody's, um, you know, taking the, maybe the recommendations I have to bring in more people that look like me. And so... Yeah, that's like a big pet peeve of mine. Like I I'd like to think that in 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 the spaces that I've been, I've brought in and I've sent I like saying sending the elevator back down um to 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 sh- show that like more people that look like me can be in these spaces. They are smart enough to be in these spaces. Um but I I don't think a lot of a lot of us really think about that. I don't. And I, and again, it's a generalization, but it's from what my experience where it's been one of the most frustrating things to watch because I'm like, we're not making that much impact. We're not really doing that. And you see white people doing that shit all the time. Bringing, there's a lot of nepotism in, in, in these cultures. And like, People are bringing in like the people that look like them, their nephews, their kids, their all their stuff because they hold that power. And like when we get that power, it's the complete opposite. We don't want to like share it. So how are we ever going to make it? Yeah. That's that on that. That's that on that. <laughs> um, I talked about this a little bit earlier, um, but I just want to talk about and this is something that I've struggled with. Um, there is a piece of internalized racism, but it's it's this like mindset of needing to overcompensate to like contradict or disprove the stereotype that I think white people um, may be holding about me or my like ethnic group, right? So like. I I know I've said this to you many times, Jess, where I'm like working crazy hours and you're like, well, you're always going to have a lot of stuff to do. And I'm like, well, but I don't want them to think that I'm lazy or that like mm-hmm. I'm not smart enough and that I'm, I'm, I'm behind. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I know I'm not lazy. I know I'm smart. But you're so, trying to get them to see you in. I, I'm trying. I, it's like because they're looking at a Latinx woman. I'm. I'm. It's like I have this idea in my mind that they are automatically looking at me and they're like, "Well, she's not smart enough. She's probably lazy." I mean, to be fair, there's a lot of people that are looking at you that way, and there are, and there are. So that's not. But it's not my job to right. It's not my job to work more hours to convince them otherwise. Right. Because no matter how many hours I work, that's a bias that they have. Right. A hundred percent. It Again, to your point, it's a fucked up system because 
if you don't do it, it's like they see it that way. But if you do do it, then it like, they could still see you that way, you know, because of the way you look and because of who you are. And every per, it's like also you come to terms with the fact that every person that you work with or that you come across has uh, any, a form of internalized racism. Mm -hmm. One, they have bias because we're all biased. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's going to come across in some way. But I think the, the key or the pivotal point where you really address that is where you recognize that it's up to that person to do the work and that if they don't see your value, if they don't see the things that you're bringing to the table, it doesn't mean that you need to work harder to get them to see that. It means that they just don't see that yeah. and you need to move on. Yeah, you can't harp on that because... And when I mean, when I say move on, I mean, find, find a different role mm -hmm. to work with someone who is able to see you for like the things that you bring to the table for your, like for who you are mm -hmm. going to another company that's able to see that mm -hmm. instead of like constantly seeking that validation and, and like overcompensating for something that Yes, there's a chance that it's going to be there because people mm -hmm. are biased, people are racist, mm -hmm. people have prejudice. But understanding that because they have that prejudice doesn't mean that it's actually true. Yeah, that's key. And that you have to prove them wrong. Because honestly, I've learned it's very hard to change people's minds. Oh, yeah. Especially when we're talking about racism, because that word has gotten such a bad I mean, it is a bad fucking word, but people have seen it as like racism is the extreme, like people who are using like the N word or like very explicit about that. Racism can be subtle too. It's all the nice white people who are racist. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, it's very hard to change people's minds because they have this idea of what racism means to them because of the way it's been used in, in our lifetime. Yeah. Um, one thing I do want to touch on, um, in the sake of being vulnerable here is, um, one of the big things for me that I learned years ago. Um, so prior to being with Steph, I dated a lot of white women, <laughs> literally probably all that I dated. Um, and for a long time, I didn't understand why. And as I've grown and done, done the, the, the work within and, and really asked myself, I think that it was internalized racism. I think that for me, I grew up around a lot of um, women who were people of color. And I saw these variations of these versions of, of women that... Um, for me, I was just like, I don't want to date someone like me because of all these stereotypes around women who are people of color. And so when I went away to school and I met these white women, I was drawn to them automatically. And when I look back on it, it had everything to do with like the status and what they represented. And that was a really hard thing for me to like accept, for me to actually admit, because how could I 
think that about my community, my own people. Like, why would I think dating a person of color would be any less than dating someone white? Like that would mean that I had some internalized racism. And why would I have internalized racism? There's no way. Like, that's not who I am. Again, going back to the word and 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 how uh, extreme the definition is in, in people's eyes. Um, but looking back on it, like, that's what it was. It was, I was drawn to people that culturally were different. There were, there were other reasons why, right? Like they were attractive people, but the, at the core for me, it's like, I put up with so much of their shit because of what they represented for me. Mm. They gave me status. There was like, oh, this white person picked me. They picked me, this person of color, this person who is nothing like them. I'm good enough for them. Wow. I'm a unicorn. I must be lovable. I must be all this. And I gave them a lot of passes in a lot of what they would do, what would they would say. Like one of my ex-girlfriends is definitely a racist, like in every way possible, like saying very outlandish shit in a way that I, looking back now, I'm like, holy shit, how did I date someone like that? Like who would say things that I would never, ever, ever let Steph get away with if she said that shit now. Um, and so I think it's important to say that because I think that there's a lot of people out there dating white people for a, a variety of reasons, right? We all have our own take on what we're attracted to. But I do think there's a lot of people who have internalized racism around that, but don't want to admit that. Mm-hmm. Because white people in our eyes, the way we've been raised is that they are the status. They are the greatest thing that you could ever be. Yeah. And I think this is particularly important to people of color, like Mm -hmm. not black people, people of color, because I think that when we look at the police brutality that has existed and how like black women are mistreated in this in this country and in this world how black men are mistreated in this country and in this world i think that we as people of color sometimes consider ourselves exempt from being uh racist because we are marginalized as well but understanding that we play a role in the marginalization of black people Mm -hmm. and taking accountability for that Mm -hmm. by addressing our internalized racism and understanding that and I can only speak from my perspective as a Dominican woman that there's a lot of colorism mm-hmm. in our culture. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of this belief of like trying to get as far away from our African roots as possible and aligning more to that like whiteness, Eurocentric, like that that part of, of us because... I know that for a while that was survival, right? Mm -hmm. But how has that impacted us? Mm -hmm. Like how many times have you heard someone say like that a a little kid has pelo malo, Mm -hmm. bad hair because their hair is curly. Or I've heard the phrase, phrase, aclarando la raza. Yeah. Can you translate that? Like, uh, like sometimes if you are dating a white person and you bring them home 
right? Like, you know, your family may be proud of you because they're like, ah, aclarando la raza. Like, you're going to lighten the race. Like, when you have kids with this person, mm -hmm. because they're white, you're going to lighten our race. So, like, as generations go by, they're going to be, the kids are going to be lighter skin and lighter skin and lighter skin. Like, basically saying, like, there's something wrong with the color of your skin right now. Like, it, it actually, it's actually best if we are, if we align and make, make our family and our generations, like, as close to whiteness as possible. Yeah. And I mean, think about what that does to you. Yeah. I, that. I remember you telling me that that's what like you would hear within your own, your own culture. I didn't hear that growing up within, in my culture, but like, I also saw it in other subtle ways, right? Like, I think, I think that everybody thinks that way. They just don't say it that same way. They just say it in different ways or act on it different ways. But wow. Yeah, I mean, it's whiteness, what whiteness represents. Like, that's what people are tied to. Like, they allow so much more um, for white people, white partners to get away with versus people of color. Yeah. And just even because this just popped into my mind, like, the person that I dated before Jess, like, just even thinking about the fact they were black. And just thinking about the fact that certain people in my family knew that they were black and I could already see the disapproval mm -hmm. in them of like, oh, you're dating a black person. But then when I, when like it would come up that this person was like college educated and what they did for a living, it was sort of like a pass. Like, mm -hmm. OK, OK. Mm -hmm. But I'm I, I know that had I brought home a white person that wasn't doing shit with their lives, it would be okay because they're white. Yeah. That wouldn't even be a question. So this idea of like needing to justify your value by your merits, by the things that you do, like. Yeah. Ay, ay, ay. That was a big one for me. Um, and one that I like, I want to talk about because I feel like a lot of people feel that way, but don't want to admit it. Yeah. So. And it doesn't mean that, like, you can't be with white people. It doesn't mean you can't marry or date or whatever. It's just, let's be honest about, like, where some of that drive comes from. Mm -hmm. where, where, where some of that attraction might come from. Like, that desire to make something like that work. Even though that person might be very problematic. Because mm -hmm. I, I see it all the time. I see it all the time. And like, how do you navigate that conversation with someone like that person of color who might feel that way, but won't say it because they might not know how to like translate yeah. that or like dig into that shit. Yeah. So. So how, cause we've talked about a lot of examples of internalized racism, like for someone who's just like, who's like, yes. I'm listening to this episode. Yes, I'm going to start exploring my own internalized racism. Like, where do they start? What do they do? You got me. What do you mean? <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, I would just start taking inventory. Um, I would start asking yourself um, some hard questions, like getting online and, and searching for... Um, some resources around 
uh, internalized racism. You know, Steph has done some great work on looking some of those up. And I think we've touched on some of those there, but, you know, uh, we were, we were reviewing one earlier and it's like some of the questions around like, do I trust people of color? Um, Mm -hmm. am I, have I ever been embarrassed to respond to another person of color in in a language other than English, English for a fear of being associated with my culture, ethnic group? Um, am I a harsher critic of the choices or behaviors of other people of color than I am of white people. Like there's tons of resources out there. And like, I, 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 you know, encourage everyone to go out there and vet these, these resources, uh, where you see fit, but there are resources, resources out there that, that provide some questioning around where to start. And so I would start taking inventory on those things and, and thinking about the ways in which you, um, live your life and the things that, you may have never thought about before and how that might be internalized racism. Cause although it's internalized racism, it could be a lot of other things like imposter syndrome jumps in here and all those things. But, um, I think part of this work, especially with the movement with black lives matter and trying to make change, I say this all the time, but it's looking within, how am I contributing to this system that was not meant to work for us. And how am I continuing to keep it alive? So if you start taking inventory on these things, I think for, for, for one, that's, that's a big step. And it's, and it's a step that like you, it's hard. You have to sit in that and it's, it's heavy. And, and I think that it's heavy because it's almost like you, for me, it feels like I've done something wrong for a long time. And, and, and it feels bad because you're, you're almost going against your community and yourself. And, and, and I just ask that you be kind to yourself through that because we've been raised in in this system to hate ourselves. And so it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility to look within and make that change. So once you're done taking an inventory, answering those questions, how are you going to change that? Like, how are you going to catch yourself or check yourself in making sure that you're not passing that along to your children or your community or your family or whoever? Um, because I, I, I'll admit it's hard. It's hard, especially yeah. when it's a system you've worked on, you know, you've worked from your entire life. Um, it's going to take a little bit of time to unwire. But I think that as we've said, once you see something, it's hard to unsee it and it'll get easier over time to catch yourself in those ways and start setting new ways of thinking, believing, acting. And honestly, I think it's going to set you free in a lot of ways too. Yeah. I think it's, it's asking yourself like, in what ways do I try to fit into whiteness. Mm -hmm. In what ways do I reject parts of myself or question parts of myself in order to fit into whiteness? If you're a parent, like in what ways do I make my kids fit into whiteness? Yeah. And just using the ones that we we touched on and we, we were, we were sharing, like, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to a lot of that. 
Yeah. So I think the goal here is like the first step is like, well, the first step was you listening to this episode. Thanks for listening. <laughs> I think that if you clicked on this, it, it, it just shows that you want to educate yourself around this or you're interested in it. And then the second thing I think is, you know, what Steph just said, just said, you know, asking yourself that question and then going online and taking inventory, finding more questions on how to start asking yourself these things. Because I think that for me, when we started talking about this and when we've started yeah, diving into the subject, like I just, I just couldn't stop thinking about it. I was like, what else do I do? That's like internalized racism. And how can I change that? Um, and, and by no means am I perfect in any way. Like I'm not like, I know I mean, there's still stuff that you do subconsciously of that course. you don't recognize. And there's still stuff that I do that I'm like, I've already done and I have to catch myself and be like, Oh, I can't do that again. Or why did I do that? Um, so it's a, it's an evolving process is what I'm trying to say. And like the hope for me is that I just continue getting curious and asking myself these questions. And to the point where like, it's no longer, um, a challenge for me yeah. to recognize the internalized racism. Yeah. Um, and like, talk about it with your community and your friends. Like, I think this is something that you shouldn't go at alone. I think it's something that you should, um, have conversations around because different perspectives, I think for me have helped in regards to this, this, this subject. Like I'm lucky to have stuff here who I can bounce, you know, these ideas off of, or these thoughts or these questions. And, um, when I discuss them, it just, for me, it, it makes me feel better to kind of get that energy out, um, in the open and, and, have someone else not necessarily validate it, but also just be like, yeah, I hear you. Like that makes sense. Or have you thought of it this way? Or have you thought of this? Yeah. Um, so there's so many things. And then like, you know, do what, what you think is right. But I, I think taking inventory is like one of the, the crucial steps. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Got anything else? No. <laughs> no. Um, no, I think, I think you covered all of it. Nice. Thank you for listening. Yes, as always, uh, thank you very much. Please rate us on iTunes. We really appreciate it. If you want to drop a comment in the ratings uh, slash review, that would be amazing. Um, but yeah, we'll catch you next time. Thanks. Bye. Peace.